Good morning, everyone. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Joshua. We started our study in Joshua last week. We want to continue this week. We're in Joshua chapter 1. Our text is going to be verses 10 through 18. The topic, after commanding the nine and a half tribes to prepare for conquest, Joshua reminds the two and a half tribes of their commitment to fight. And then he listens as they offer him their counsel. The title of our message, The Tribe Has Spoken. Verse 10. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the camp and command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourselves, for within three days you will cross over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua spoke, saying, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is giving you rest and is giving you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan, but you shall pass before your brethren armed all your mighty men of valor and help them. Until the Lord has given your brethren rest as he gave you, And they also have taken possession of the land which the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on this side of the Jordan toward the sunrise. So they answered Joshua, saying, All that you command us, we will do, and wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we heeded Moses in all things, so we will heed you. Only the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses." Whoever rebels against your command and does not heed your words in all that you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and of good courage. Let's pray together. Lord, whenever we're in the Old Testament, we're reminded of the Apostle Paul's comments that these things were written for our learning and they were given to us as types. They are a real history of the events of the nation of Israel as they went into their promised land, but they're also given so that we can understand how that we can more successfully conquer uh, the enemies, the obstacles, the opponents of the Christian life. And so I pray, Lord, that we would learn about them, but that we would learn more about ourselves and that you would empower and strengthen us, Lord, to change. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And those who agreed said, Amen. The Donner Party is the name given to a group of settlers, including the families of George Donner and his brother Jacob, who became trapped in the Sierra Nevada mountains during the winter of 1846 and 47. Nearly half of the party died, and some resorted to eating their dead in an effort to survive. The experience has become legendary as the most spectacular episode in the record of Western migration. The party reached the base of the steep summit they needed to cross on October 31st, just as snow was beginning to fall. Although some in the group were able to reach the summit, they were forced to turn back as there was no way the whole party could get through. Heavy snow continued falling overnight, and by morning the pass was completely blocked by snow drifts over 20 feet high. Here is the historic kicker. They had come 2,500 miles in seven months only to lose their race with the weather by one day. One day sooner, they would have made it through the pass, the Donner Pass, and all would have been safe. It's a rather tragic illustration of settlers falling short of their goal. 
Our text in Joshua introduces us to a group of settlers who did fall short of their goal. They are the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. The incident is recorded in Numbers chapter 32. At the border of the promised land at the Jordan River, these two and a half tribes asked Moses for permission to settle down short of entering the promised land. Moses was initially furious and rebuked them. They pressed him. They swore to help the rest of the tribes conquer the promised land when the time came. But they would prefer to settle on the east side of the Jordan rather than in the land God was giving them. Moses relented to their compromise. Fast forward to our text. The time had come for these tribes to keep their word and fight with their brothers. They will, but it remains a tragic story. No matter that Moses gave them permission to settle, they settled short of God's best for them. Their settling short would later nearly spark a civil war in Israel, and it left them vulnerable to their enemies, resulting eventually in their being the first to be conquered. Why did they do it? If you read the story in Numbers 32, you'll see it was because they had great possessions, especially livestock, and they were looking at land only in terms of its earthly comfort and benefit, not in terms of spiritual conquest. There is one potent lesson for us as Christians in their story, and it is this. It is all too possible to settle short of God's best for us. The land the nine and a half tribes was going in to conquer is twice called the place the Lord was giving them, and it is twice called a place of rest. The land the two and a half tribes settled is only called the land Moses gave you. They were settling short of God's promises, short of God's best. Since none of us sets out to settle short, we want to understand how to overcome the lure of comfort and convenience so we can continue to conquer all the spiritual territory God has given to us. If we contrast the nine and a half tribes with the two and a half tribes, we might start to get a handle on things. I'll organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, set your mind to please God and you will only settle for the best. And number two, set your mind on ease and you will always settle for second best. First of all, in verses 10 and 11, set your mind to please God and you will only settle for the best. As we talked about last week, our studies in Joshua will be most meaningful if you see the experiences of the 12 tribes of Israel as an illustration given for our learning. They were called upon to conquer the territories granted them by God. So are we. In our case, the territory isn't a physical geography. It is a spiritual one. Our territories are all the various aspects of our lives, our marriage, our family, our church, our employment, anything and everything we think or do or say. Each of them is a territory that God has given to us to conquer. Spiritual success is promised to us if we will tread forward by faith and overcome the opponents and obstacles in those territories. And we don't want to fall short of moving forward. And so back into our text, starting in verses 10 and 11, we see that Joshua readies the people for action. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people saying, pass through the camp and command the people saying, Prepare provisions for yourselves, for within three days you will cross over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. 
The first thing that I'm struck with is that the nine and a half tribes are the first to be addressed. And that tells us that when your mind is set on pleasing God, you will be where you need to be in order to hear from God. Now, that doesn't mean you have to attend every church service or every Bible study or every Christian event. It does mean that you should prefer to be where you can hear God's word taught and where you can worship your Savior with your brothers and sisters. There should be a desire to be with the people of God when there is an anointing upon the fellowship of believers and their ministry one to another through the gifts that God has given so that you can hear from God. There are always going to be things competing for your time, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday evening, and every day and night throughout the week. Some of those things are necessary. Others are good things, or at least they're not necessarily bad things in and of themselves. But we need to decide what are the best things for us and for our family if we are serious about conquering spiritual territory. Where do I need to be in order to hear from God so that I can be empowered to walk further into that territory? You know, we have great, it's a great blessing in one sense to live in the technologically advanced age in which we live. Uh, not that I recommend people miss church, but if you miss church, uh, there are a variety of ways, just let's say in our church, that you can keep up with what God is saying to his people through the messages. Uh, regardless whether it's me or a passage to ponder or a guest speaker. Um, we have, uh, you know, archived studies on, as videos. We have MP3s. We have text copies of all of our messages going back for years. Uh, in fact, I think we, have, we might have more content on our website than any one website in the history of the world. You know, it's fantastic. And I know that when I was at Calvary Chapel of San Bernardino attending there, uh, I felt like it was important that I kept up with what uh, was being taught because I, I had a sense that the Lord would speak to me through that teaching. And so when I wasn't able to attend, I always got the cassette tape. Wow. With the famous fast forward feature, you know, I mean, that was the best technology going at the time. And I remember it was a big advance one time. They had a cassette tape player for missionaries that had a hand crank and stuff. Do you, do you remember those? You sent it out with a bunch of tapes and people would sit there and, and crank up their study. And it was great till it started to... And then you have to crank it up tomorrow and stuff. And so it was kind of fun. Uh, but, uh, you know, so, so there's no excuse for not knowing what's going on. And here's, here's the thing. Is it because what say Jacob says, or I say, or Gino, whoever's teaching here, is it because what we say is so important? No, never. It's because of God says is so important. God speaks prophetically to his people through the word of God. And, and I want to know what that is. I want to know where God is leading and what God is saying. And so I encourage you to take advantage uh, of those things when you're not able to attend the fellowship uh, let be a part of the group that hears from God first, that God is addressing. The lack of a recorded response by the officers is telling, especially when you contrast it with the lengthy response of the two and a half tribes. Joshua speaks to the leaders of the nine and a half tribes. They say nothing and get about their business. 
And then there's a long, long sequence in which he has to speak to the two and a half tribes. This tells us that the nine and a half tribes received the word and immediately acted upon it. No questions asked, no comments offered. And they did it because it really wasn't the word of Joshua. They understood that it was the word of God through Joshua. It was God commanding them to get ready to go into the land that he had promised them. A mind set on pleasing God is always eagerly awaiting his next command. It is where God can speak to it, and it is awaiting his next command. Preparation was necessary. It always is. It pleases God when you and I spend as much time as we can preparing for conquest. I told you last week that we would sometimes use church and church service and ministry as an illustration because it's something we can all relate to. But this is applicable to any place that is your territory. But let's let's look at serving in the church, serving the body of Christ. Uh, If you have a ministry, that is a territory that God has given to you to conquer. And there is a preparation that is necessary If you want to really be successful in conquering that territory, Uh, certainly it involves prayer and study and reading and reflection and training and all of those kinds of things. And I found that in my own life, uh, initially, when I'm asked to do something and I feel really inadequate about it, I, you know, preparation, I almost prepare more than I need to, it seems like. And there's a kind of a nervous anxiety. And then after a while, you get kind of crusty. And and then you can start to make the mistake of not preparing at all, just showing up. Uh, There is kind of a fantasy in the Christian realm that spontaneity is better than preparation. Uh, We have a word for that. When you just try to be spontaneous without preparation, the word we use is lame. Uh, And, you know, it just sometimes is lame. Now, if God calls you to something you're not prepared for, can he empower it? Can he bless it? Absolutely. But if you've had plenty of time to get ready and to prepare and you just haven't done it, then it's lame. God might even cover for you. He might bless somebody. Somebody might come up and say, that was the greatest thing I've ever heard. But all that should do is rebuke you all the more. Because God had to cover for you. And, and, and so, you know, preparation is an important thing. And so Joshua said, hey, get ready to go in. It's interesting, though, he only gave them three days. And that's not very long when you're talking about going across the swollen Jordan and getting ready to conquer this entire geographic area. It, sec- it suggests to us a sense of urgency. I mean, I might have thought, okay, we're getting ready to go. We need months to prepare and strategize and and sew backpacks or whatever you need to do when you're, you know, going in to conquer a land. But Joshua said, hey, three days from now, we're going in. Sense of urgency. Since we believe the Lord Jesus could return imminently in the event we call the rapture of the church, we have an even greater sense of urgency. Never in the history of the people of God have there been a people with greater sense of urgency than the church. Because we believe that the Lord could come right now. We don't know if we have this afternoon, let alone tomorrow or three days from now. And that's not a burden, it's, a, it's, a, it's to set us free, it's to excite us 
to get about the business of conquering various territories because we just don't know if we're going to have very much time. Finally, we see here that they were told to possess what God was giving them to possess. It's a reminder that victory was assured, but they must press forward to claim it. It would not come automatically and it would not come easily. They were going to have to fight in order to uh, secure the victory that God had won for them. So if we are to conquer deeper into each of our territories, we must desire to please God above all else. That's the secret. That's the key. That's the bottom line. As J. Vernon McGee would say, that's where the rubber meets the road. You know, rather than remembering all of these things, the overarching uh, point is live to please God. Because there's going to be times when it'd be easier to stop short and be comfortable. The two and a half tribes called to go into the promised land, called to conquer. God never intended anything other than conquest of the promised land. That is what would have been pleasing to God. But at some point they looked around and they thought, hey, this is nice. Why don't we just stay here? And they came up with a way to do that. And they stopped short when they should have said, yeah, this is nice. We could build, you know, cattle pens and we could prosper here physically. But we want to please God. Yes, pleasing God is going to involve going across the swollen Jordan, walking by faith, taking on the giants and the iron chariots and the walled cities. But we want to please God. And that's the bottom line. And so often in a struggle to conquer, when there's a a, a problem, the bottom line is, do I want to please God because it would be easier to break off from the conquest. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired of this. It's too hard. I want to settle here. This land looks better to me. It's a grass is always greener on the other side kind of thing. And probably that's where that phrase comes from. Because literally the grazing was greener on this side of the Jordan. But it wasn't pleasing to God. And so we are people that want to live to please God and not to be at ease. While the nine and a half tribes were preparing, Joshua had a meeting with the two and a half tribes. And so in verses 12 through 18, we'll see that set your mind on ease and you will always settle for second best. It might be helpful if I recite a portion of Moses' response to the request to settle short. I think it will set the mood for you. This is found in Numbers chapter 32. It begins in verse 6. Moses said to the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war while you sit here? Now, why will you discourage the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord has given them? Thus your fathers did when I sent them away from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. For when they went up to the valley of Eshkol and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel so that they did not go into the land which the Lord had given them. So the Lord's anger was aroused on that day, and he swore an oath, saying, Surely none of the men who came up from Egypt, from twenty years old and above, shall see the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. So the Lord's anger was aroused against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness forty years, 
until all that generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was gone. And look, you have risen in your father's place a brood of sinful men to increase all the more the fierce anger of the Lord. If you turn away from following him, he will once again leave them in the wilderness and you will destroy all this people. Wow. Moses. Wow. Take a time out. Pretty tough talk from Moses. And this is Moses. You remember Moses. Meek, mild, humble. But when people came against Moses, literally the earth opened up and swallowed them whole with their families. I don't know about you, but I, I, don't want to, I, I wouldn't have wanted to talk to Moses in the Old Testament. You just never know what's going to happen. You know, fire comes out of the sky. The ground opens up. This guy, I mean, you know, plagues followed him where he went. I mean, this guy is a powerful guy. And so these tribes come up with their theory of settling on the wrong side of the Jordan. And if, as if that's not enough, then he, Moses launches into this incredible rebuke. You'd think that's going to be the end of it now. But instead, they persist and they offer Moses a compromise. Basically, they say, well, yeah, Mo, we hear what you're saying. But we still want to settle short of the promised land. We've got our hearts set on it, as a matter of fact. So how about if we go in and help fight when the time comes, but we're able to settle here? What do you think about that? And Moses, because of the grace of God, relents. Now, the fact that Moses agreed doesn't make it right that they settled short. And this is always the difficulty when we are trying to decide if we're in the will of God. We have to be really honest with ourselves based on the word of God and what we know God has already said. Just because God doesn't open up the ground and swallow us, just because we seem to be blessed physically, doesn't mean that we've made the right choice. These people made a wrong choice, and as I said earlier, because they made the wrong choice, they would be far from the place of national worship. They'd end up constructing a monument, some weird monument, and that almost sparks a civil war. And later in their history, they're the first ones devoured by the invading Assyrian Empire because they're cut off from their brothers. God's permission for you to do something doesn't mean it's his best for you. The Apostle Paul applies this principle to decisions we make in the area of Christian liberty. It's the same idea. We are free to make decisions as Christians. There are areas that we would call gray areas. They're not black or white. They're not clearly sinful. I could do it. I might not do it. And so Paul says, well, sure, you can do that. But is it the most spiritual thing? Is it the most expedient thing for you to do? Just because God will allow you to do something in liberty doesn't mean it's God's best for you. And so this is a very important principle in the Christian life. In the case of these two and a half tribes, their mind was set on ease. The account in Numbers makes it clear that they had much possessions. At some point, they began to think in terms of ease and comfort rather than endurance and conquest. And so let's see what we can learn from them, beginning in verse 12. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh, Joshua, uh, Joshua spoke, saying, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is giving you rest and giving you this land. 
Your wives, your little ones, your livestock shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan. But you shall pass before your brethren armed, all your mighty men of valor, and help them. Until the Lord has given your brethren rest, as he gave you, and they also have taken possession of the land which the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses the Lord's servant gave you on this side of the Jordan toward the sunrise. Now contrast this with Joshua's approach to the nine and a half tribes. First of all, in verses 10 and 11, he spoke only to the officers who then spoke to the tribes. Here, Joshua is forced to address all of the people in the two and a half tribes. It alerts us to the fact that these folks had an independent spirit when it came to obeying God through their leaders. And we see that in their talk with Moses. Moses commanded them, then Moses rebuked them, and they still continued to argue with Moses until Moses gave in. And so here, instead of Joshua just telling their officers what to tell them, he talks to all of them. And so they had this independent spirit when it came to obeying God through their leadership. Now, I know that spiritual leaders can abuse their position. I'm aware of that. I've seen that. But when a spiritual leader is not abusing his position, when they are simply leading, then it is godly to follow their lead. And there's a sense in which you need a submissive spirit so that God is able to press forward. Second, we see that Joshua has to take them through the entire episode with Moses in order to make his point. That tells me these folks are always looking for the loophole. They make commitments, but all of them are really conditioned upon circumstances, not faithfulness. And so Joshua has to go point by point, remind them of everything that they agreed to, just in case somebody had their fingers crossed when it happened. Remember that when you were a kid? You could lie and do anything you want as long as your fingers were crossed. You know, after a while, you'd think on the playground, anybody that had their hands behind their back, you just figure their fingers are crossed, right? And you wouldn't make any commitments. It's like calling dibs. Once you call dibs, it's yours. There's no law in the United States, not even the Supreme Court, that can overturn the dibs. <laughs> dibs, fingers crossed. I mean, if you, you need to be teaching your children how to get along on that elementary school campus, you know. And, and, uh, but anyway, so he takes them through this entire episode uh, because they are the kind of people who are, you know, going to go back and review it and say, now, we, we didn't really, you know, say that. This is what we said. And so he rehearses it. Third, they need everything spelled out precisely. That tells me they're not very flexible. They're only going to do the minimum and maybe not even that much, as we'll see. They respond in verse 16. So they answer Joshua saying, all that you command us, we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we heeded Moses in all things, we will heed you. Only the Lord your God be with you, as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your command and does not heed your words in all that you command him shall be put to death, only be strong and of good courage. Now, on, upon first reading, that sounds really good, really strong. But it isn't as good as it sounds. For one thing... Joshua reminded them of their commitment to send all their fighting men. And when Joshua is rehearsing what they committed to, he says, you're going to leave 
your families on this side of the Jordan and all of your fighting men are going to come over. And then they said, everything you command us, we're going to do. In subsequent chapters, we're going to learn that they only send a small elite fighting force. They have about 110,000 numbered fighting men in their two and a half tribes. They send 40,000 to help with the conquest. They keep 70,000 men behind to protect their livestock and their women and their children. And so right off the bat, they are not doing all that Joshua commanded them to do. And this is a classic situation where you'd say, wait, I thought you said you were going to send all of them. Well, obviously not all of them. All doesn't really mean all. It means whatever we feel like doing at the time. And so um, these are the kind of people that Joshua was dealing with. Then they say, just as we heeded Moses. This is what you might call audacity. I read the passage from Numbers. I read it to you. Did they heed Moses? Moses said, no. (laughs) You're going to discourage your brothers. This is exactly what happened 40 years ago. They didn't heed Moses. They argued with Moses until he accepted their compromise. Now, if you're Joshua, would you be excited to know that they would heed you just like they heeded Moses? No, because you have no hope that these people are going to do what you want them to do. Or at least you're, it's, it's, it's 50-50. I mean, there you are in the heat of battle. I mean, we're talking about life and death battles that these people are going to fight. That real enemies that had swords and slings and chariots and cities. And, and Joshua needed to know as the commander of the army that he could send them over on the left flank and that they would go and not say, well, wait a minute. We fight better on the right flank. We're a right flank army. We trained on the right flank. And, you know, and so this is not a very encouraging start. To Joshua's credit, he continued to strive with these guys because he knew it was the Lord's will. Sometimes it's easier with people to say, hey, okay, forget you. I don't need that kind of commitment. But God is gracious and he continues to struggle. Then they say this. Only the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Does that sound okay to you? Well, probably by now it doesn't. It has just a hint within it of an escape clause. What they're saying is we promised Moses, not you. As long as we agree among ourselves that you are as worthy a leader as Moses, then we'll follow you. It's almost as if they're waiting for him to slip up so they could stay or go home. Any of you have been in any kind of leadership, whether it's spiritual or otherwise, you know what I'm talking about. There's always people that you have a suspicion that they can't wait for you to make a mistake. And and it really, they're a drag, that kind of a person. Because you know you don't have their full support. And you suspect you are going to make a mistake along the way because no one is perfect. Uh, and, And yet they're always looking for that escape so that they can get their way and get their way out and return to their life of ease and comfort. Verse 18, whoever rebels against your command and does not heed your words and all that you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and of good courage. Keep this in context. 
they had just asserted that they would fully, completely, 100% follow Joshua. This statement is not about themselves. It is about their brothers. It's about the nine and a half tribes. They're saying, hey, we just told you we're, gonna, we're on board 100%. But you know, our brothers, those nine and a half tribes, they're kind of tricky. And if any of them doesn't follow you fully, then you let us know and we'll put them to death. Because we're the really committed ones. It's at best a critical and judgmental comment. It assumes an air of superiority over their brothers. Often a mind that is set on ease develops an air of superiority. You settle for God's second best, but it gives you time and opportunity to have the world's best. And then it becomes easy to think that having this world's goods are an indicator that God is pleased with you. The two and a half tribes had already begun to settle on the east side of the Jordan. They built many structures. They were settling in. They seemed to prosper. The nine and a half tribes, all they had ahead of them was, they had, well, they had nothing other than their possessions. They were still wandering in the, you know, in the wilderness. They were going to have to go in and conquer the land, and not just soldiers, whole families with all of their possessions, while the two and a half tribes got to leave their families behind and most of their fighting men, from one point of view, you can think, well, God is really blessing those two and a half tribes. They made the smart choice. Why go in with all this hassle? Why risk the defeat at Ai where 36 men are going to be killed because of this guy Achan who stole the Babylonian? I mean, why go through all that hassle when you can just be here? And we, we have to fight this sometimes in our own culture. We have an attitude that people who prosper physically and financially are in some sense being blessed by God in a greater way than we are. And, and we develop this superiority, inferiority, and we need to forget about it. In fact, there are a lot of warnings in the New Testament to people who are wealthy and have this world's goods. A lot of warnings to be very, very careful how you handle those resources because God wants them invested in the kingdom of God, in furthering the gospel. And so, you know, wealthy people, rich people, they ought to be more concerned, not less concerned. And so these people, they're really quite a study in contrast. They have a lot of bluster. They have a lot of boldness. But if you really see what they're saying they're not faithful, they're not trustworthy, their mind is set on ease. They do the bare minimum in what we would call the Christian life. God is pleased with you when you live to please Him. He wants you to conquer more and more spiritual territory, not grow at ease in the world awaiting His return. A study in contrast gives each of us and our church the opportunity to see which group we are more like, both as individuals and as a fellowship. If there are any ways that we are like the two and a half tribes, then we need to immediately change our mindset. And we can't look at our lives in terms of which we are more like most of the time. That's, a, that's something I like to do and that we all like to do and say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm more good than I am bad. And so if I could list all the good and bad things, I, I, you know, balance out on the good side so I'm okay. God wants us to forget that way of thinking and to look at each territory of our life. In some of those territories, 
we're pressing forward, we're conquering, we're claiming the land that God has given us. But in all of our lives, there have got to be some territories uh, where we are not really conquering. We've grown at ease in them. We've settled down. We're really not interested in fighting that fight anymore. And that's what this study in Joshua is about. That's what these studies are about. It's about being honest, letting the Holy Spirit reveal to us areas that need conquering. You remember last week, we quoted from chapter 13 where God comes to Joshua and he says, you're old and there's still a lot to do. And, and I think that's a good, powerful, prophetic word to each of us and to us corporately. You're old. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you're old. And there is a lot of land left to conquer. Where is it in your life? What, what is the territory that is left to conquer in your life? And then get excited because God says, I'm going to give you all the possessions that you want to possess. We don't want to be like the two and a half tribes. We want to be like the nine and a half tribes, preparing, having a sense of urgency, being submitted to the command of our faithful commander, Jesus Christ, going in with our entire family, with everything that we are not worrying about how to protect that because we know that the Lord is our shield and our strength and our exceeding great reward and conquer those things that are yet out there. Caleb, in the middle of this, you know, they'll be doing the inheritance and Caleb comes forward, he's in his 80s, and he says, give me my mountain. I want to climb a mountain and kill giants. Let's go. They have the advantage. They're dug in. They're, they've got the high ground. I'm an old man, but I've been waiting for this all my life. I want to kill some giants. I want to kill some people. There's nothing that can stop me if the Lord is with me. And he took all of his territory and, and he had great kids as a result of it. And so let's get involved in the conquest. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you this morning for these things. We appreciate the history of the nation of Israel, the land that you gave them the battles that they fought, the history, Lord, that they are still making in the Holy Land and their future blessing, Lord, of your return to give them finally all the land that you've promised them. But in the meantime, Lord, we uh, want to take these things as types and identify the territories in our lives that need further conquest. Set us free, Lord, to trust you and to tread again in those areas. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's stand together. Cafe is open. Try the espresso cola. If you need to stay up a little bit longer. <laughs> Sounds a little strange, but man, does it have a beautiful flavor, nice head to it. I'm addicted to it. But anyway, uh, a lot of good things going in the cafe hang out there you know it's it's not too hot for you to hang out outside maybe and just get to know somebody as always identify somebody that you've never seen before at least say hi to them one of these sundays i'm waiting for somebody who can come up and say gene i i know everybody here and we have a special prize for you i don't know what it is but we have a special prize for you so uh we'll be together again uh wednesday morning 
for our men's fellowship. Wednesday night, the Ignite service has been such a blessing uh, as we uh, just are, are, are studying through the book of the Revelation. And we have a few other series going at the same time. If you haven't been out to a Wednesday night Ignite, come on out. It'll be cooler there than it will be at your house, I'll guarantee you. So take advantage of our air conditioning. But uh, we'd love to see you. In the meantime, may God bless you and keep you.